Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and our guest this week is Danye Love who identifies as an Afro-queer playwright and who has written a trilogy of plays about the lives of black queer people in this country over the past century and a half. Sugar in Our Wounds, set on a plantation before the Civil War, played at the Manhattan Theatre Club last spring, and now Fireflies, set during the Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s, is playing at the Atlantic Theatre Company's Linda Gross Theatre. Hello, Danye Love. Welcome to Broadway Radio. Hey, how are you? Good. I have been wanting to talk with you since seeing Sugar on Our Wounds last spring. Oh, so, wow. So I am really delighted to have this chance oh, to talk goodness. with you now. It is my pleasure. <laughs> Let's jump right in. Could you please tell listeners what Fireflies is about? Awesome. So Fireflies is the story of a married couple during the civil rights movement. Uh, this couple is one of the faces of the movement. Um, it's a young religious leader and his wife. And we just navigate uh, their public life versus their private life. And what does it mean? What does it take to be the faces of the movement? And what strains come with that? What struggles? with that and what parts of yourself do you have to release in order to give over to the public and how does one suffer navigating that where did you get the idea for this play wildly enough i got the idea for the play when thinking about and unpacking the black lives matter movement Hmm. so fireflies is a part of a trilogy that explores queer love during pivotal moments in black history. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first play, Sugar in Our Wounds, explores queer love during the time of enslavement. This play, Fireflies, explores queer love during the time of uh, the civil rights movement. And the final play, In the Middle, explores queer love during the time of the Black Lives Matter movement. And like I said, it was very interesting because the Black Lives Matter movement is what inspired, or one of the things that inspired uh, Fireflies because within the Black Lives Matter movement, it was created, it was founded by three black women. Uh, Two of those women are queer, but oftentimes it felt as if there was this very clear erasure for whenever there was protests or rallies um, or visibility within the movement, it always felt like it was centered around cisgendered black straight men and this erasure of uh, women and this erasure of queerness. I just found myself really interested and and frustrated in that I wanted to explore what that would look like. And I was thinking about the civil rights movement in a time where uh, misogyny was so prevalent, sexism was so prevalent, the patriarchy was also extremely prevalent. And what would it look like? What would it mean to have this very public male figure leading people during that time? And we got to see that within the private life of these two people if the force moving him was this woman but just because of the time period she wasn't able to step out and be at the forefront so i was just really interested in exploring and unpacking that 
Mm-hmm. Fascinating. The the story is set against the backdrop of the bombing in Birmingham, um, and I there are so many pivotal moments in the civil rights movement. Why did you choose that particular one? Um, that not felt like, but that is one of um, the shameful, heinous acts in American history, where you take this sacred space being a church and you take uh, innocent people, i.e. children, and such a violent thing happened during that time period, and then structuring and crafting the play um, without giving uh, too much away, Olivia existing in a space of um, thinking about children um, and navigating that. So it felt very uh, honest and it felt very connected to the story to think about that act and just the brutality, um, the shameful, painful, uh, just hurtful display of that sort of violence. And what does that do to uh, an individual? What does that do to a couple who is in a space of um, entertaining the idea of bringing children into the world? What kind of, of, of research did you do about the movement, or did you do any uh, uh, about Yeah, it started with, and I, I honestly don't even like to call it uh, interviews, because it was just me getting to sit down and listen to my uh, grandmom and my great-grandmom uh, talk about what it was being black women during that time period, hmm. um, hearing their stories. Um, about not just the movement, but just about life outside of and surrounding the movement um, through the, the lens of a black woman. Um, and I just, I, I, it was on a Friday, I got to chat with uh, my grandma, and then the very next day, a Saturday, uh, Saturday morning, I got to talk to my great-grandma and just, just listen to everything they had to say. So that was uh, the catalyst. That was the first thing. Um, and then I watched documentaries. I watched uh, Spike Lee's uh, Four Little mm-hmm. Girls. I watched a documentary called uh, King in the Wilderness. Um, I got to watch that, which was very moving. And I read uh, Tavis Smiley's book, Death of a King, um, just to really get mm-hmm. an understanding of the time period, of uh, the figures that were involved uh, during this movement. And then also, like I said, starting at the root of it with my grandma and my great-grandma to really talk to real-life people who weren't in the limelight, who weren't at the forefront, but who lived everyday lives. So I could really focus on Charles and Olivia, the everyday people outside of what you saw on TV, outside of what you heard uh, through recordings, but just that everyday existence that they have when they're in the kitchen with just one another. Charles and Olivia being the characters in in, yeah, in the play. The two characters. Right. This is a civil rights play, um, but it's also it struck me as a very feminist uh, play. So mm-hmm. so I find it interesting that you did talk to uh, your grandmother and your your, your great grandmother. We so seldom think about the wives in the civil rights mm-hmm. movement. We think about the, the male leaders and so... Yeah, because you have that um, extremely uh, misogynistic saying of behind every great man is a great woman. And why does she have to be behind the man? Why can't she be there in her own right, existing in her own space, 
side by side, um, if not in front of. And I just found myself really curious of what are those things, what are those systems of oppression uh, that were for actually force um, the woman to not be the center force. But everything that she's doing um, allows us to see and understand that she's capable, if not far more capable than this man, but just because of the systems and the time period, it wasn't allowed. So I just found myself really curious and exploring that and, and honoring that as well. I know that you identify as an Afro-queer playwright, and mm-hmm. and I've read that you you really want to write gay people back into history and I wondered if you could talk about that a bit more because it's one of the things that I was so taken with with uh, in your play Sugar in Our Wounds which is set mm-hmm. during slavery times could you talk a bit more about your your intention of doing this yeah again like I uh, mentioned earlier mm-hmm. how real erasure is and for those individuals who exist with on the margins, um, since we're already on the outskirts, it's very easy for us to be pushed even further away from the center, um, from a visible space. So I just found myself extremely frustrated um, at this idea of erasure and, and, and being pushed further and further and further into the margins. And I never really even fathomed me uh, anyone loving like me existing during certain moments in history, i.e. during the time of enslavement. And it it hurt my feelings to not even think that I would have existed during that time period and what that had to have looked like, what that had to have meant. Because in 2018, uh, as many strides as we have made, it still was very difficult um, to be a queer person Uh, existing in the world, to be a black person existing in the world, to be someone who's on the intersection of both. So I couldn't even fathom what it meant um, to have both identities during that time. And I just, I really wanted to to honor those stories, to unpack those stories. And and the research that I did when I was uh, writing Sugar and Almonds, the first play in the trilogy, it was very hard to find any information regarding that. Because we're thinking about a a group of people where it was against the law to read. It was against the law to write. So for those individuals who did love the way I love, they may not have been able to document their stories, um, their existence, their love. And so the things that I did come across, it might have been like a sentence here and there. It might have been a paragraph here and there. And then that got me into a space of, uh, having to use my imagination to fill in certain blanks um, that the history books uh, didn't share because of erasure. How did you settle on the approach of incorporating uh, queer life into Fireflies? Did you so did you consider it... other possibilities? Because I think many people would have thought um, you might have done the story of Bayard Rustin, the great a civil mm-hmm. rights strategist who was a gay man, but you took a different approach. So did you think about other approaches? or? So I was having a conversation with a friend, mm-hmm. and I was talking to him about the uh, trilogy. This was after I wrote Sugar in Our Wounds and before writing uh, the final two pieces in, in the trilogy. And 
he said to me, and everything was uh, very male-centered, um, that conversation. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, very subtly, what about the black woman? Mm-hmm. What about her sexuality? What about her desires? What about her love? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was honestly embarrassed that I never even considered uh, at that point in time uh, thinking about and honoring uh, the sexuality and the love and the desire of uh, a woman. And so when I started writing the piece and crafting it, I started to realize how uh, sexual uh, Charles was, uh, the husband. And I started to realize, oh, it feels like it's being structured and crafted in a way where I can see, and I actually heard this from some people, they thought that the queerness uh, would involve Charles. And it was quite unexpected for that queerness to involve Olivia. And again, just going to uh, this time period and how stifled women were during that time. And so not only is she not allowed to have her her actual voice, um, she's not allowed to love. And she's caged in this kitchen, in this space. And so, yeah, there were early on, I thought about it through the lens of um, the male being queer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was like, no, that's not this story. Um, mm-hmm. Centering the woman, uh, centering her desires, her fears, her joys, her struggles, and her sexuality as well. Mm-hmm. And that and that felt like the most uh, truthful and connected to these two people. This is a two-hander. Uh, you're... Mm-hmm. you're- previous uh, play, Sugar in Our Wounds, had a larger cast, and I was wondering, yeah. was th- this a challenge you set yourself to do a two-hander? Was it more difficult? With all of my plays, I, I don't set on say, okay, so it will be X amount of characters, these are things that I have to hit. Um, of course, I have ideas, mm-hmm. um, and they like, like marinate in my mind, and when I sit down uh, to write it, I just go. And I knew for sure I wanted to talk about and center an iconic figure, iconic figures within the civil rights movement. And so I knew it would be a husband and a wife. And the more I started to write it, the more I realized, oh, these are the only two people talking right now. Hmm. Um, Other characters started uh, to be discussed amongst these two. Mm -hmm. uh, But in in those discussions, it never felt like these other characters wanted to be in the play physically. And so the more I just started to write it, the more I realized, oh, this is shaping out to be a two-handed eye. Um, I wrote plenty of of, uh, two-character, like 10-minute plays, but this Mm -hmm. was my first full length. And just, again, just listening to these two characters and just going on the journey uh, with them, uh, felt like this is what that story is, um, and like navigating that, and, and that's why I said I watched a lot of uh, documentaries, uh, read uh, books pertaining to uh, Dr. King and Coretta, um, them being a jumping-off point, but then also understanding that they are their own people, and Charles and Olivia are also their own people, and and crafting people, these two people that exist within their own space outside of figures that we already know actually existed in the movement. Bombing exists as a as a kind of metaphor in, in the mm-hmm. play. Can you talk a little bit about 
why that I, I, I will say for me it seemed as though it, it was the threat of death haunting um, the civil rights leaders but I'm not sure I got it right it can be perceived and like I heard it was perceived as uh, the bombings um, a magnitude of things uh, one thing that constantly came up um, which is something that I was thinking about as writing it is uh, PTSD um, mm. and the traumas mm -hmm. and the triggers uh, that black people uh, live with every day and the moments when those triggers uh, come up and oftentimes for Olivia I was like really calculating and trying to like calibrate uh, when those bombs do happen and oftentimes it happened right before uh, devastating news came into the space and then there were times uh, when it happened where it was related towards her unborn child and her uh, navigating bringing uh, another colored body another colored being into this world and not knowing how the world would uh, receive um, that and then also it felt very much like a literal uh, ticking time bomb Mm -hmm. of um, the days counting down to what will happen to what will be. Um, but yeah, like there were a plethora of like thoughts of, oh, I think the bombs mean this, I think the bombs uh, mean that. But for me, it, it, it really was centered around uh, this woman, this unborn child, this ticking time bomb literally living inside of her and the PTSD uh, that being a colored woman in this world has been causing her and how she's trying to like navigate through that until we get to the end and we see her starting to, to have a conversation with the bombs and not allowing them to overtake her but her like the clearing space in her existence. Both Sugar in Our Wounds and Fireflies were directed by uh, Sahim Ali. And I was wondering yeah. if you could talk about your partnership, how the two of you came together, and why you seem to like his directing your plays. <laughs> so, yeah, Sahim is incredible. He's uh, not only um, a trusted collaborator, but he's become a valued friend. He and I met through, I had a fellowship in 2016 at the Playwrights Realm, and we were having conversations about directors. His name was on the list, and I remember hearing his name um, through multiple circles uh, that I was in, and so I was like, yeah, I would love to, to uh, meet with him, to, to have a conversation with him. In, in particular, it was uh, my fellowship at the Playwrights Realm was with my pleasure and our wounds. And so Sahin was in Detroit directing a play out there. So we Skyped and I was blown away by, he was in the middle of tech and we know tech can be <laughs> very arduous. Yes. Um, so not only was he able to chisel out time from his tech, but he read the play. He had ideas, he had thoughts, he had a vision. Um, and he was able to excite me about the play in a way that I didn't even expect. So I said, oh, if this person is able to enter this conversation with so much care, talk about my play with so much care during a time uh, that can be so chaotic, uh, it felt very right and it mm -hmm. felt very natural. And uh, the more we started to work on like sugar and I started to get a sense of him and he started to get a sense of me, I would say, Hey, I also have this play. Let me send you a way to read. I have this play. What do you think of that? And, and we just uh, we just uh, grew.
from there. And he just um, really understands my writing. He understands me. And he helps me understand my world in a way that I didn't even think about it, see it through another lens. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's he truly a dream as a collaborator. That's a great partnership. Um, Can you tell us uh, a little about In the Middle, your Black Lives Matter play, and when we might see that one, too? Yeah, and so uh, In the Middle, like you said, uh, it takes place during the Black Lives Matter movement, and it explores queer love uh, during that movement. I found myself very interested in the family that's affected by uh, police brutality, by state-sanctioned killing, um, in particular the mother, and what that does uh, to her and the other people around uh, the mom of this slain child. And because I really started to think about um, and sit with character assassination and this thing that happens where it always feels like immediately after someone is killed at the hands of a police officer and then headlines start trickling in about something uh, this individual who was killed did five or ten years ago Hmm. to paint them as this villain and what that has to do uh, mentally, spiritually, and physically to the survivors and particularly to the mom who's still here, who's receiving this information, but all she's wanting is for her child to be back all she's trying to do is grieve but the world is saying oh this is why your child um was killed you are the reason why this happened um so and in the middle explores that and it i was also really fascinated with um greek tragedy and how that structured over the course of a 24-hour period um, and we have like a chorus giving uh, vital information. And so uh, in the middle is, is loosely based off of the Greek tragedy or formatted like a Greek tragedy as well, where that play spans the course of a 24 hour period. And we just navigate the world through this mother's lens um, and her mother, her daughter, her aunt, and uh, this other character who comes in as well towards the end of the play. That sounds exciting. Is there any chance we're going to see that one soon? That's the hope. Uh, That is the hope. Uh, I don't have any information yet, but um, as soon as I do and as soon as I can, I will scream it from the rooftop. (laughs) But yeah, um, I am hoping uh, that we get to put like a stamp on this trilogy uh, by having in the middle uh, get to exist and breathe in the world. Well, in the meantime theater lovers can see uh, Fireflies at the Atlantic Theater through um, November 11th. Is that right? Yes. So we we uh, had our first show September the 26th at Atlantic and uh, we closed November 11th at uh, Atlantic Theater's Linda Gross Theater on uh, 20th Street. Great. So, so there's a chance to see that thank you for taking the time to talk with us uh, about it. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate this. It's been an honor. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway Radio podcasts, which you can find on broadwayradio.com.